1: everybody, it's Drags, and it's Wednesday, March 27th, time for episode 291 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com, and of course follow us, as always, on Twitter, at Patriots CLNS. want to welcome Brian Phillips of SB Nation and uh, Chief Editor of patspulpit.com. Great stuff uh you read him there all the time and read pats com all the time uh not only during the patriots uh season but uh, certainly during what has been again another active off season he's the editor senior writer he does video at pats pulpit uh, and, uh, one reason I l- really look forward to having him on today is he's an expert on the NFL salary cap and contracts. Uh, welcome to the show, Brian.
0: Hey, Treggs. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it.
1: So let's begin with the huge news that broke on Sunday night. Gronk, Rob Gronkowski announcing his retirement after nine NFL seasons that I think everybody agrees will land up in Canton one day. That move saves the Patriots $9.8 million in cap space. Here's my quick and dirty take on it. Okay. It's unfortunate that it came after the start of free agency, but it at least plans, allows the Patriots to plan for taking a tight end in the draft in the first round, which is maybe an assumption a lot of people are making. Um, the Patriots have certainly broken, um, that Uh, line of thinking in years past but Irv Smith seems to be a guy that uh, might be in line uh for the Patriots to take a close hard look at out of Alabama yeah
0: you know uh I mean I'm still just kind of getting over you know uh you know the end of the you know it's an end of an era with with Gronk being you know with Gronk being gone it's going to be it's going to be really weird uh you know coming as we go into training camp and everything but um yeah, you know, I really think that it, I don't. I don't know how much it really impacted their strategy if it would have. If he would have retired directly after the Super Bowl, really with the tight end free agency uh, class, you had you, you know your Jesse Jameses, your Tyler Crofts, uh, CJ Uzama from from Cincinnati uh, re-signed and uh, with the Bengals, um, and really the the numbers that those guys got out on the open market, you're looking at somewhere anywhere between five point six and six and a quarter million. Uh, for guys like Jesse James, Tyler Croft, I, I really feel like that would have been out of the, the Patriots price range. We saw that, uh, Jared Cook's deal, uh, the deal, the, the, the some Saints. of the numbers, yeah, with the Saints today, some of those numbers came out and, uh, it's looking like seven and a half, uh, AP, APY, but, um, with about 8 million guaranteed in the first year, uh, his cap, will probably be like around 4 or 5 million. But I really think with this, with this draft class, how, how amazing this tight end class is. And I know your colleague, Evan Lazar, has been detailing it a ton. He um, has. <laughs> yeah. Guys like Irv Smith, um, obviously if, if a TJ Hawkinson or Noah Fant somehow, you know, if they find their way into the 20s and the Patriots can move up, uh, shame on the rest of the NFL for letting it happen. Um, But, uh, but Irv Smith and guys like Jay Sternberger from, uh, from Texas A&M, these guys are all, all really, really good weapons. And, uh, you know, we even saw them go out and get a guy like Matt Lacoste and add to the depth. So they'll, they'll have the depth guys. And then, uh, yeah, I definitely expect them to go get one of these playmakers.
1: Yeah. And I've always, you know, been of the belief, uh, Brian, that, the Patriots find a way, whether it's through a draft or a free agency or signing um, a veteran um, after the fact, which they've been doing a lot of here in the offseason. They've been kind of signing those second-tier uh, veterans or trading for second-tier veterans to fill roster spots.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it's it's really you know when I look at and I analyze how the Patriots have have handled their salary cap situation over the last you know say going back just just as long as long as I've been tracking it personally since 2015, but back until the you know basically the start of the CBA, the way that they have been attacking their salary cap sheet is to stock the low middle class of their roster, guys making one to three percent of the league salary cap or their adjusted team cap, and they lead the league every year, just about every year, in these one to two and a half percent deals and whether it be rookies, uh, obviously for to get that high of a number this year, it would be like around 1.8, 1.9 million for a cap hit. So your first rounders will all be. Those kind of deals, but they they go after they they put a ton of stock into those uh, special teams, those core special teamers, guys like Brandon King, uh, Matt Slater, Brandon Bolden. Those guys are all of these in this tier that we're talking about here, right? Um, you know, and whether it be veterans, rookies, street free agents, you know, trading. I mean, there's no team that utilizes every method of roster building. Better than the Patriots do practice squad promotion, practice squad poaching, the draft, trades. Every, I mean, re- restricted free agency. You know, it's 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 wild to watch them do it. But uh, yeah, that's how they really they plug all these holes and keep their depth restocked. Well, why don't? Here's what I
1: don't understand. And and you follow this intimately, uh, Brian. Speaking with Brian Phillips of uh, Pat's Pulpit.com and SB Nation. Why don't other teams? follow the Patriots formula of um, cutting or or following what other teams are cutting and picking them up for one and two year deals and signing them on the cheap and getting the compensatory draft picks. I I don't understand why the Patriots have laid (laughs) out this roadmap for what the last four to five years, to, you know, we're being conservative here. The last four or right. five years they've been doing this and
0: other teams just don't seem to be willing to go down that same path. You know what? I, I, I posed this question to Twitter the other day. Maybe might've been about a month ago. And I asked, you know, is, is it a matter of ego around the league where teams just feel that they can do it better? I mean, it, when you're, when you're literally being shown the blueprint every single year about how it's done, Why not do exactly, you know, if if the league is such a copycat league, like we talk about, like we hear all the time, you're right. Like, why don't teams do this? And I think other factors come into play when you're talking about, you know, there's just, you know, ownership doesn't have a lot of patience with a lot of other organizations. You know, coaches are on a three-year, you know, it's a, it's a two-year wait and see type of deal. And, You know, there's quick triggers. You have GMs and coaches not being hired in together at the same time, so nobody's schedule is 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 lined up. Nobody's you know five-year plan is lined up with their coach that they're bringing in, and there's just all this instability. And no, and organizations just don't give their their you know their upper uh, their front office guys time to build and sustain a long-term deal. I mean, it's not like Bill Belichick is the only you know really solid head coach in the league, you know, we're talking about the, t- the 32 most coveted coaching positions in the sport, right, like, you know, right. of the entire population. Like, and he would admit be able to that, be
1: done. not to cut you off, but Bill would right. admit
0: that. Like, yeah, I, I mean, he's very proud of his accomplishments,
1: um, not only on the field but throughout the organization to allow uh, the team to build the roster like they have. I mean, he is the first to tell you, I don't build the roster by myself. I mean, I have Nick Casario. I have a great scouting department. That helped me build the roster through free agency,
0: veteran pickups, trades, and the draft. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And and I think what's really cool is and is interesting. And we always hear about it is is Bill's uh, and well, really Bill and Nick Casario and this whole front office staff is their ability to go against the grain. We know how uh, we know how involved they are with analytics. We've heard it. You know, them being one of the first teams to really get into it and use it to some degree, to what degree, we don't really know, but, uh, and then we see them consistently going against what the analytics community is saying, so they're taking running backs in the first round last year, and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're going with a heavy run game, and, and, uh, and, and running the ball like crazy when, when everybody is moving towards this pass-happy offense now, and, and the Patriots are just, they're just carving out their own path. And it's and it's so cool to watch Bill construct the roster around that. And this offseason I think is pivotal just on the trenches. The offensive line obviously is sure up, but that defensive interior, I think, with Trey Flowers leaving and Shelton and Brown, all them being gone, it's uh it's interesting to see the moves that they're making to sure up the trenches now.
1: Well, I mean, I got to tell you, I'm still a little bit concerned about Trey Flowers leaving. Um, Yes, they went out and acquired Michael Bennett, and that was a terrific move. But, you know, you've lost Trey Flowers and Adrian Claiborne, who is pretty much a one-trick... Uh, you know, one down specialty uh, sure. pony. Uh, and I think they realized that that's why they released him and uh, took a $2 million dead cap hit. Uh, but in replacing him with Michael
0: Bennett, they, they've got to do other things to shore up that defensive line, right? Oh, a- absolutely. And in the Claiborne one was because the Trey Flowers was was the one that, you know, I had, I had pegged all season. You know, there's just no way they're going to be able to meet the number. And it ended up being, you know, 17 plus million a year and uh it just was, wasn't going to be a place well, that to go. let me stop you there you, yeah. you
1: say there's no way that well there would be a way if they wanted to really juggle around the roster and make a couple of other cuts couldn't they i mean
0: you certainly sure, you certainly could you could they could they could do it however they wanted his cap hit this year in detroit's only 6 million it's six and change um obviously that escalates pretty quickly starting in 2020 sure but so, so it's, it was absolutely possible but it's it's really it was, it, it's their philosophy of roster building. You know, it's, it's, we have to maintain the ability to add this lower mid-tier, um, these guys making one and a half to two and a half to three million dollars a year, cap, cap hit wise, uh, because that's how you build depth. And we saw it last year. The key, the key last year, they, this wasn't the most talented Patriots team. This was the, the healthiest, deepest Patriots team. Um, at least that, you know, when you look at the, their front seven, um, their offensive line, I mean, everybody was extremely healthy and they got lucky in that sense, but they had depth all over the place. And on defense, they could constantly rotate guys in and out. You know, we had a guy like Adrian Claiborne. Had, he led the league in pressure rate. And he had one job the whole year. He played, you know, under 40% of the snaps and uh, his job was to rush the passer. And he didn't have any other responsibilities because they had this depth built into the roster. And when you have a guy that's earning 9, 10, 11, 12, upwards of 15%, of the of, a, of the lead cap you lose the ability to have those depth guys back there on the bottom end of the roster so after tight end and
1: and we're going we're working on it i think a fairly large assumption that they are actually going to go with a uh, tight end uh in the first round uh where do they look to fill next do they uh look to um get some offensive line depth uh do they look at uh drafting Tom Brady's eventual successor which I think would pre- be there probably um uh, especially if they went after Greer from West Virginia uh in the second or third round is that that a
0: possibility well for me uh well, that's certainly a possibility um I I think you know especially when it comes to the first round with, with Bill Belichick I feel like you know I, I feel like there's a chance he could even just ignore the tight end position altogether and then just roll with what he has and then you know find a guy in week four off of a practice squad and you know, Seattle or something, and, and all of a sudden he's the next guy. Like, we never know where the next big move's coming from, you know, uh, and and what they're looking to do. But I think, yeah, obviously tight end is priority number one when you look at holes in the roster. But for me, def- interior defensive line is a huge priority, and they need to get younger and they need to get deeper on the interior. Uh, they got Mike Pinnell, obviously, but I think with this crop of young uh defensive tackles, um, you can get a guy like uh like a Dexter Lawrence or hope you know I'm not sure if Christian Wilkins will be there. Uh, but there there are guys throughout the first uh first two days of this draft that 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 really fit the mold uh, in New England. A guy like uh, Jerry Tillery, no, Notre Dame is 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 really in that same mold as Trey Flowers, um, and Michael Bennett, that big kind of that that early uh, early down he's outside, you know, on third downs he kicks inside type of guy. Um, that's where I would go personally, but I could see them going, like you said, a million different directions.
1: There are questions about Dexter Lawrence though, right? I mean, he did not have, did not have, if I was reading correctly, a terrific
0: combine and a terrific workout. That's true. That's, but, and then that just, that just makes you wonder how, if, you know, where the value, you know, when, with the Patriots, all these, these picks up in the first three rounds of the draft, you know, and their ability to move up when a guy starts sliding, you just wonder. If they see a value there with Dexter Lawrence at, let's say they can pass on him at 32, if that's even a possibility. Uh, they pass on him at 32, and next thing you know, he's there at 40 and they've got, what is it, 56, I think it is in the second round, uh-huh. uh, that they can move up and, and, and package a couple, and that's just too good of a value for them. It's all, it's all a value game for how, how he falls in their grading system, you know, um, you, you never know. Personally, I'm more of a Christian Wilkins guy. I'm not a, I'm not a huge Dexter Lawrence fan. I just, I've seen a couple of mocks and a couple of guys talk about how he fits in New England's system. Uh, and there, there are, there are guys all over this draft that I, I think they can address that, uh, that interior defensive line issue, uh, moving forward too. So they're, in, they're in good shape. They are. And
1: I mean, the Patriots, of course, are going to be in good shape because, um, they always have plan B. C and D behind plan a if it falls through i want to oh, yeah. talk I want to talk about the wide receiver position and because with Gronk retiring uh, you know as we've said a couple times now uh, the assumption is that they would go after a tight end, a a premier, uh, first round talent type of tight end to replace, uh, Gronk. But what about the wide receiver position? That is a a position that's taken a hit, uh, with the loss of uh, somebody like, obviously, Cordero Patterson, um, and they need, and Chris Hogan is, uh, out the door. They need depth at the wide receiver position. And yes, they re signed uh, Philip Dorsett, uh, but they need more behind that, don't you think? And Braxton Berrios comes back from injury this year.
0: Right. Yep. Um, you know, I, I'm not as concerned as I see, uh, some out there are. I understand the concern. You know, it's the same concern we had last year, um, with, uh, with Chris Hogan, you know, especially after the Edelman suspension was, was talked about. And, and I was, for me, the jury was still out on guys like Cordero Patterson. And, uh, and Philip Dorsett, but the job that Chad O'Shea did last year with those two was insane to me. I, I, I did not see <laughs> Cordero <point>. Patterson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, I didn't see Cordero Patterson doing that well in this Patriot system and the way they used him in a myriad of different ways was unbelievable. Obviously Chad O'Shea's gone. Philip Dorsett. Really did show that next that that he was taking that next step last year for me, and I I was ringing the bell to have him play over Chris Hogan all year. Uh, surprise people is going to be Bruce Ellington. I think he's going to make the roster. I think he's the exact kind of guy that can excel in this system. Um, and I do think they go and get a weapon in the draft. And the next thing you know, we don't know what's going on with the Josh Gordon situation. But then you're rolling out, you, you're then you're you're at the point where you're rolling out Edelman, uh, Dorsett, uh. Uh, hopefully a, a, top 100 pick rookie, hopefully somewhere in that range, a guy like Kelvin Harmon from NC State, um, or, uh, you know, or a Debo Samuel from South Carolina and, uh, and Philip Dorsett. And, and now you're kind of cooking with gas with this running game and this offensive line. And, and that seems, it seems right now as we speak in March, like more than enough, but, uh, obviously anything you get on top of that from Josh Gordon would be, uh, would be the cherry, uh, cherry on top. You a believe you a believer in Isaiah
1: Wynn at the left tackle position replacing Trent Brown? 150%.
0: Like this I, I was I was ringing the bell for for Isaiah Wynn to start at left tackle last year before the injury um before we before we went into camp and saw that Trent Brown was taking the you know getting the first uh, he, I mean from day 1 it seemed like he he walked right in and took that left tackle spot. Um you know Dante Skarnecchia, that that's got Dante Scarnecchia written all over it. If he says he's a left tackle You know, he's a a left tackle. I buy that. Uh, Yeah. If Dante says it, hey, let's just go with it, right? Well, and the other thing
1: Dante has mentioned before, and he he told a couple of people this, uh, last week I was at uh, the Boston College Pro Day, and, you know, he was looking at uh, Chris Lindstrom, of course, and um, uh, Montero, Anthony Montero, uh, the tackle prospect out of Boston College. And he said, look, if they can move their feet, and they can keep their balance and keep their knees together, uh, when they do their squats. I can make them anything that they want to be. And, you know, I, I, that's oversimplifying it, right? But it's sure. kind of, it's kind of how, uh, Dante Scarnecchia feels about, uh, offensive line coaching. If, if they have the, the physical skills and the flexibility, the pliability, if you will, to, uh, um, be, <laughs> you know be slender in position in their slot then he can coach them up any which way he wants linemen who who are versatile and who are light on their feet and can move and that's the one thing i think people were a little bit pleasantly surprised by trent brown and and belichick noted this a couple of times during the season um that trent brown was actually very athletic for being six seven, three hundred and thirty 330
0: pounds oh it's insane insanely like pound for pound might have been the best athlete on the team right if you like just just on a strictly pound for pound basis, like insanely athletic for that size i agree and
1: i'm just i guess where I'm going with this uh scarnetkia saw montero and he saw Lindstrom any chance that uh, one of those two landed new
0: England I, I i mean certainly i know i know a big name uh that we're seeing a ton uh with right now is max sharp uh was it sharping out of uh I believe it's Northern Illinois is a guy who is fitting all these athletic profiles that everybody's talking about, but they like the local kids and, uh, we saw it with, uh, Max Rich out of Harvard, I believe it was a couple, a couple yep. training camps ago. Um, they, they like the local kids and, and, uh, you know, this seems like it would be the most like Bill Belichick move ever to draft a guy, you know, uh, an interior offensive lineman like Lindstrom in like the second or third round, uh, who, who projects to be one of the better, uh, one of the better linemen in the entire draft and, you know, at, at a position that doesn't appear to be a need right now. It got, you know, m- maybe potentially a, a Joe Tooney replacement um, down the line. Joe Tooney's in the line for quite a payday, uh, in my opinion, coming up here if they don't get an extension done this year. Um, that, that you know, it would infuriate Patriots fans. It would be like these, the one pick Patriots fans would be scratching their head at, but it would be. Of course be, it would. You know, but it would be, like, so Belichick to do it. I mean, Lindstrom would be an absolute machine in this offense.
1: I would not um, rule that out whatsoever. Look, and I and I said this last week talking with John Meter-Perel. I've said it before another guest, two other guests uh, I've had on in the last couple of weeks said it to, you know, my colleague Evan Lazar. Belichick goes with the what, uh, Brian? The best athlete best guy,
0: yeah. on the board. The best guy available. Not yeah, exactly. the need. Yeah, it, we've seen it. We've seen it time in and time out. Right. Uh, I mean, last year with Isaiah Wynn, it, it wasn't it wasn't the exact immediate need right off the bat, especially when they had, well, at the time they didn't have the Trent Brown. uh They didn't have Trent Brown in the pipeline yet. Obviously, it was the about 24 hours later, Trent Brown came in um but uh you know their running back spot was looking fine you know even though deon lewis left um they didn't do that they went and they, they stuck with their guns and they went best best player available down the line and sometimes and i, I feel like we'll probably see it again this year best player available is trade back when you got a chance to get value and accumulate later picks or pro personnel you know uh, bringing in and, and i think bets. i think if we don't see them take a tight end early. I, I think that's what we'll end up seeing from them. Uh, maybe getting one on the trade market. A guy like a guy like Nick Vanette from Seattle, if he would be available, um, it would be a perfect fit. Uh, a guy like Garrett Selleck from San Francisco. Uh, obviously, the, the 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 trade the trade pipeline there is is still open. You'd you'd anticipate, but uh, that's where I would see. But yeah, you're right. Best player available and whatever is the most valuable pick at that position. Uh, that, is that, that's what they're going to do. That's their system. Uh, what did
1: you think of Bill's uh, breakfast with Bill on um, Wednesday morning or Tuesday morning? I should say <laughs> down in uh, out in Arizona. Just classic Bill,
0: right? You, you, I think you uh, you retweeted the Jeff Howe tweet. Right? I did we indeed. Got the, we got the analytics on the on the uh, the breakfast with Bill. Fifteen, what is it? Uh, what two point seven questions were asked per minute with a yeah? Let me bring this word up. Rate.
1: Uh, Let's see if I can find this. Um, I'm sure I can. Um, This is a great podcasting. Um, Let's see. Okay, per Jeff Howe's tweet, Bill Belichick fielded 116 questions over 43 minutes on Tuesday morning. That's 2.7 questions per minute. He said 1,790 words, an average of 15.4 per response. And his most frequent phrases were, We'll see, uh, 21 times, and I don't know, 13 times. He did, uh, by the way, throw in there, Brian, a it's only March.
0: Yeah, that that was the big one that I saw, you know, and everybody was uh, kind of quote tweeting it with, it's March, you know, it's, you know, like the March Madness phrase, the for the, the advertising catchphrase. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, a little more mum this year than he typically is, right? He's typically a tad bit more jovial and uh, a little more expressive, right, talking about uh, getting into the swing of things and uh, I know he likes kind of going on a little bit about um, the process of, uh, of how busy he is right now and, and, and everything but this year it seemed like yep just kind of zipped up and you know, uh, you know what,
1: I, I think So it, it, it depends on the year, and it, it, you never can really figure out Bill uh, in terms of the mood he comes into these press conferences in, wh- whether it's during the season, you know, during a Wednesday typical press conference or a Friday press conference during the uh, season, or one of these um, meetings in March where, you know, these reporters kind of come up to him and are expecting a, the jovial Bill because – you know you expect him to be more relaxed cuz it's march and he gives you the kind of the business like approach that he did on on tuesday
0: right maybe maybe it depends on just how many like storylines big you know he, the anticipation of questions uh you know uh, obviously with with Gronk retiring and everything that he he saw that coming and uh what he talked just really briefly on that and then uh and then it was pretty much zipped up from the rest of the way it seemed like well and the other thing he usually gets zipped up if there's some type of calamity
1: around the team and obviously yeah. I hate bringing this up but it's got to be brought up uh, you know Robert Kraft pleading not guilty uh to the two counts of uh misdemeanor um, solicitation for prostitution what do you think of the way that the organizations handle it B- best way possible that they've handled it so far
0: yeah i mean i mean it's it's pretty typical of what we'd expect from them right uh the nothing out of the ordinary would, you know this is just another long line of, of of the scandals and they've, they've dealt with all these huge, massive stories before. And, uh, um, you know, on, on the incident at hand, you know, it'll play out how it plays out. I, you know, it's an unfortunate situation for, uh, for a lot of people involved. You know, um, I, I tend to think of more, you know, more of uh, what the, what the investigators and everybody were doing there in the first place. Um, and you know, it's a terrible situation, but, um, you know, it, it'll be, you know, it's not going to be a distraction in the locker room. That's what they're going to make sure of. Uh, we'll, we'll make a bigger deal out of, out of, uh, what's going on outside the locker room. But, you know, they've shown, this team has shown that they can, uh, keep everything kind of at, at an arm's length, uh, and, uh, and not let it kind of steer their focus. We've, we've seen that before. So it's an it's an unfortunate situation, you know? Yeah. And I think they've dealt with it the, probably the best
1: way that they possibly, um, could. And, you know I'm not surprised that, that uh they stick to their guns and kind of close the um, close the doors around them if you will and make sure that you know nothing nothing penetrates the walls there's no noise that gets inside
0: that affects their decision making right yeah that, that's it, the it, way it, they've always been it, exactly I mean. It's, it's, it is crazy that when you talk about all the, all the storylines over the years, you know, from Spygate to, you know, to Deflategate and Aaron Hernandez and I mean, just these massive, massive stories that go well beyond the scope of sports and, and the whole nation seems to grip themselves with, you know, and, and it's, it's, it becomes bigger than sports. You've got bigger media coming in. You've got media around that aren't, aren't even sports media. You've got, you know, n- news, you know, it's a breaking news story. It's on every TV network. And, uh, yeah, so they're quite used to batting, you know, batting down the hatches. Right. And the other thing is,
1: if they can handle Aaron Hernandez, and I know this is a disgusting story that Robert Kraft is enduring right now, brought on by himself, I think he would even admit that he apologized for it. But if they can handle Aaron Hernandez, pretty much they can handle anything. That's the way I feel. What about um, what you're going to be doing, uh, you and SB Nation and uh, your colleagues? What are you going to be doing at patspulpit.com and uh, bringing Patriots or getting Patriots fans geared up for April 25th through the 27th in Nashville?
0: Well, yeah, we've got a ton of content Um all week, you know, you know, in the weeks leading up, I'm i doing uh, Pat's pulpit live on our uh, on our Facebook page. If anybody listening wants to go ahead and like us on Facebook, uh, Pat's pulpit, um, once a week, uh, and then during draft week, obviously we'll be talking. Uh, we'll be on there a couple different times. Um, uh, we got some great uh, great draft guys. Ryan Kieran is uh, one of our one of our uh, draft guys, pumping out content, really good evaluator. Um, I, I I dabble in it a little bit, but um, really I I like to uh stick to my guns with the contract and the roster building stuff. Um, but uh, you know, I, I love the work that you guys are doing over there. Uh, you you and, uh, and Evan and 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 Alex and everybody with uh getting everybody prepped for the draft. We're, we're pretty uh pretty lucky in the Patriots uh, media community. We, we got are. a lot of good resources you know.
1: I appreciate you saying that, Brian. And uh, you know, I think a great franchise and a, and a extraordinary team like the Patriots kind of deserves the coverage uh, that they get. And uh, I think there is a ton of great coverage out there and certainly you are a part of it. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. I want to thank our terrific guest, Brian Phillips of SB nation and Pat's pulpit.com. You can follow him on Twitter and Brian, make sure I have this right at B Phillips. That's B P H I L L two L's IPS underscore S B. Is that correct?
0: That's the one. That's
1: me. Yep. Excellent. For producer Michael Angi and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast powered by CLNS Media. <music>